welcome to this month's BJ Education Podcast. Today I'm talking with Dr. Richard Lin about his article, Dexmedetomidine in Pediatric Anesthesia, also written with Dr. Ansamino. So I understand you wrote this following a fellowship in Vancouver. Would you like to tell us a little bit about your experience there and, uh, and, and what led you to decide to write about Dexmedetomidine? Yes, thank you, Anthony. Um, it was uh, yeah, a fantastic year that I had there, and um, and I learned a great deal. Um, first of all, about the different systems uh, that were in place, but also a whole lot of different medications and uh, techniques as well. So Vancouver, well, BC Children's, British Columbia Children's Hospital, is is um, well known for um, using TIVA in in pediatric anaesthesia. And they, uh, 80% of all their cases are generally done under TIVA. And they very much publicise this and have a good reputation in, in TIVA in paediatrics. And, and part, of, part of the TIVA can involve the use of dexmedetomidine as well. And, and, and we find that it uh, helps to complement the TIVA anaesthetic. Does dexmedetomidine influence your um, BIS? scores and, and things like that does it have an effect on the EEG yeah. or is it I think one of the criticisms of dexmedetomy I mean, in a um, editorial in pediatric anesthesia in 2015 by uh, Professor Wolf who was one of the previous um, presidents of the APA and, and he, he made a lot of valid points there and, and one of them was that there, there's still a lot that we don't know about dexmedetomidine and um, and one of one of those things is is what actual effect it has on EEG, on anaesthesia, and also well what dose we should be using in paediatrics and and specifically in in all the in different age ranges. Because from from my experience of using it, I'm working with with Dr. Antimino, there are marked differences in in the in the pharmacokinetics and pharmacodynamics of dexmedetomidine depending on the age group. Yeah, and you, you make that point in the article. But I guess that once you're comfortable using TIVA techniques, introducing something that will only uh, improve the quality or the depth of anaesthesia as well yes. as analgesia, you, you're probably going to be comfortable doing that, um, even if it has slightly odd effects on your numbers and things like that. Yes, yes, absolutely. One of the reasons I picked your article to make a podcast on was that I'd quite like to know how to give this drug without causing cardiac arrest. Because <laughs> um, yes. most of the use I've seen, in fact, all times I've seen it used have been in ITU for sedation. Um, and it seems like it's very prone to causing bradycardias and there's very specific protocols on how to give it. And if there's any slight mistakes in that, it seems to be quite uh, serious consequences. You've got very nice um, guidance on how you might give it. Yes. So the article outlines how dexmedetomidine can be given in a variety of different um, circumstances in the perioperative uh, period, um, as well as um, being used as adjuncts in analgesia, both to complement regional anaesthesia, but also um, on its own as well, um, combined with a morphine infusion, which we, we, we go into. But its main uses are in pre-medication, so it can be given as, a, as an oral buckle or an intranasal uh, form, um, and, and, and that, that seems to work really well 
in kids who perhaps don't want to swallow something. However, one of the problems is that it can have a, a longer, slightly longer onset time, so some additional planning needs to be in place um, if, if, if you are going to use that. Um, but intraoperatively, um, you, you highlighted how it, it can be associated with bradycardias and, and, and some other side effects as well. But we, we do talk about how Dr. Ansemino actually performed a study where he showed that you can give it as a fast bolus 0.5 mics per kilo without causing any significant hemodynamic changes. And therefore, it can be given in, in that dose for a variety of different um, intraoperative reasons, uh, simply to reduce the, the volatile agent or the anaesthetic um, amount that you're delivering, but also as a um, analgesic adjunct as well intraoperatively, either to a regional anaesthetic technique um, or to reduce the opioid consumption um, if you're concerned about the post-operative uh, effects of, of opioid. And then, and then we, we also discuss uh, its, its use in, in MRI as well. Um, now, this, this is an interesting area where the first person to describe the, the use of dexamethotomidine infusion in, in the MRI setting was, was actually at Boston Children's Hospital, Kira Mason, who talks about giving it as an infusion, as a bolus, and also then followed by an infusion um, with no other adjuncts. Um, and and she, she described how this was, uh, this was successful and could be used as a sole sedative to, to deliver a successful anaesthetic and a safe anaesthetic without an airway, so just with nasal prongs um, to, to children in the MRI setting. And this, this technique has actually been, was published in Pediatric Anesthesia in 2008, but has also, has now been, is being used at Great Ormond Street and has, was introduced in 2015 and now is, is a nurse-led sedation service um, where the, 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 the child will come in, get cannulated by the nurse, obviously after having um, uh, a screening um, interview and making sure they're suitable and don't have any contraindications, but they'll, they'll cannulate the child, give them a bolus and run an infusion and, and the child will have an MRI without the input of a paediatric anaesthetist. They, they are, of course, in, in the MRI suite, but they're doing their own list. That's amazing, yeah. Um, if an institution that doesn't yet uh, widely use Dexmed is... Um, thinking of starting something like that. Do you think uh, the guidance that you give out in the article is kind of fairly safe way to just go about doing it or would you know, any cautions with that? Yeah. Um, things out know, for people who are unfamiliar with giving it, any mm. advice that you'd give? So I, I do think I'd want to use a new agent without being sure that it wasn't going to cause any problems or I hadn't used it before under the mm -hmm. supervision of someone that was was very familiar with using it and then I know Dr uh, Grant Stewart who's the paediatric anaesthetist that set up this um, uh, um, dexmedetomidine MRI service at Great Ormond Street has, has says to me that he, he commonly gets um, emails from from people who are interested in in his in his uh, protocol so I think he's ha he's happy to be contacted if, if they are interested in that. Mm. Can you tell us like 
how does dexmedesomidine work on the sort of mechanism of action for um, sedation and analgesia? So it's an alpha-2 agonist and it produces its sedative effect via these receptors in the, in the locus coralis, which is in the central nervous system. And, it, uh, and, and it's similar, similar to clonidine, except it has a shorter half-life. And so all the, the, the same things that you would use clonidine for, you would tend to use dexmedetomidine for too. So it's, it is, I guess, as an antihypertensive as well, a sedative, um, but also an analgesic um, agent um, as, as clonidine can, can be used. But it has it has the unique property that it um, helps it, it, it helps to maintain spontaneous ventilation and doesn't doesn't cause the same apnea that you you might see with with uh, other sedative agents such as opioids such as um, benzodiazepines. That seems like a really attractive quality because, like you say, you you may avoid instrumenting the airway in uh, a lot of settings. Um, in the article, you talk about the effects of Dexmed as having a protective mm. effect on the neonatal brain. Can you sort of expand a little bit upon that or explain what you were talking about there? Yes. Um, Anesthetic agents are, are, are well known to, to cause um, problems with apoptosis to the, to the developing brain cells. Um, and, and this includes of all the volatile agents that we use. So the, the studies that have been done to, to show this um, show that isoflurane induces neurocognitive impairment in rats and propofol as well as midazolam, ketamine have all been shown to have similar effects in, in, in uh, the developing brain. Mm. Um, the evidence in humans is less uh, as, as you would expect, there, there have been studies that have looked at this. The most recent has been the GAS study, which which looked at um, inguinal hernia repair and um, followed up patients for five years and showed no difference in patients who underwent a purely regional technique versus those that underwent uh, conventional treatment, so, so um, uh, inhalational agent. But dexmedetomidine in animal studies has been shown to not cause this, this same degree of apoptosis and, and it was actually protective against the apoptosis that was, that was um, caused by the volatile agent. But again, this, this, this has not been substantiated with long-term studies or, or shown clinically to be the case. So one, one would still uh, exercise caution, but it has, has meant that some people have have published studies using dexmedetomidine in neonatal anesthetics and how it can be useful and reduce the amount of of uh, other anesthetic agents that you have to expose the neonatal brain to. Mm-hmm. Well, that's hopefully something that we'll um, start to see more and more uh, research and evidence for as it gets used more commonly, I guess. So are there situations or um, patient groups that you would be reluctant to use dexmedetomidine in? So the, the typical uh, contraindications that we talk about um, in the paper include children with cardiac conditions. Now this is, this is an interesting area because um, actually children in cardiac, pediatric cardiac anesthesia, dexmedetomidine has, 
has has been shown recently to to be associated with early extubation in 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 two kinds of cardiac surgery, so in coarctation and also in simple tetralogy or fallow repair. If if indeed early extubation is is something that that your institution practices, but it does appear to be being used quite widely in in paediatric cardiac and anaesthesia, um, and also in the cardiac intensive care unit as well. But um, any 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 child who's undergoing non-cardiac surgery who has concurrent treatment with digoxin or beta beta blockers, calcium channel blockers, monoamine oxidase inhibitors, um, and anything else that may predispose to bradycardia is is usually uh, a patient that we would well I, I, I would perhaps not not use dexmedetomidine in. Mm-hmm. Um, also, those with chronic hypertension, septic shock, um, cardiac conduction abnormalities. And also, liver disease again is is a difficult one because of the um, because the, the breakdown of dexmedetomidine is, is is through the liver enzymes. In, in patients who have liver failure, may may show much much more pronounced effects. In your article, you give this nice uh, clinical case with an autistic boy, I think it was, um, yes. who's going for an MRI scan, previous traumatic induction and restraint and things like that. So yeah. the, the technique that was used in this case was um, intranasal uh, dexmedetomidine as a anxiolytic. So when you're giving the pre-med with either nasal or um, you've mentioned already buccal and oral, how long do these different routes sort of take to have an effect and how long can that last? In the literature, the dose really varies. Um, intranasal dexmed as a sole agent ha- has been shown to to be sufficient for uh, as a sole agent for MRI scan. However, there have been other studies that have required an adjunct as well. So, using intranasal dexmed with midazolam with propofol as well, um, because there is quite a high failure rate. When you just use intranasal dexmed on its own, so so actually in in our in our in our research project, which which I did with Dr. Ansamino, we found that you had to have the right patient, and we were selecting the patient based on a an MRI simulator test that we would give the the child. So we would we would have a child, we would take them into an MRI simulator, and we would we would see whether they would undergo a pretend scan. Um, whether they would get in this pretend scanner, lie there for five minutes and then let the scan happen. Um, and based on that score, we would determine whether they were suitable for this for this um, intranasal DEXMED um, study. What we felt is that you have to have a child that can almost do the scan without any sedation. Mm-hmm. Um, so there has to be a degree of um, understanding and also... Uh, agreeability as well so so we think if you have the right child actually you probably only need to give them one or two marks per kilo um but then you need the room to be dark you need to have a peaceful environment and you probably need and then you need to have the mum in with the the child in the scanner and you need to have a quick scan as well so the head scan is usually 20 minutes long um and if you have that, you have a mum that agrees to go in, you have a child that is slightly sedated from the, the DEXMED, then I think you have a uh, recipe for success. 
so caution if um, if there's not all of those things lining up. I think I think um, with PDH you kind of see that that's quite a common scenario where where actually there are many things that that are required to to have success in in that induction um, period, and it often isn't just one thing that uh, that uh, helps. Yeah, and that's what I guess makes it quite fun is you have to be on the ball and uh, you know, doing things as they happen. Um, so if you were going to give your pre-induction anxiolysis as a nasal um, yes. dose of, pre- of Dexmed, would you be doing this up on the ward when you see the patient who's yes. going to come down maybe half an hour later? Or would you wait till they arrive in uh, in the anaesthetic room or just outside yeah. and sort of ambush them in the corridor? <laughs> yeah, no, those are uh, those are all possible options. It, it, I guess it depends on your hospital. Usually there there is a protocol in place for this because uh, it's not something that is... is uh, that isn't without some safety concerns, but the, the the ideal situation is is that you'd have a holding bay of some sort where the child or or a recovery where the child could be monitored mm. um, for that whole period. But that that's usually easier said than done in Vancouver, and and, and I guess also in in Grey Ormond Street, the the process is that the child usually gets the intranasal dexmed on the ward delivered by the nurse. But again, sometimes the problem is that the nurses aren't familiar with administering it. So it's not uncommon for us to administer it ourselves. But we find that that often the, the, um, a short training session to the nurses is, is all that's needed to then get them keen on the idea. Because what w- we found out actually, it's not that tr- traumatic for the child it, and it, it, doesn't, it doesn't seem to be too difficult. Because where the volume is, is often quite small as uh, Texmed comes in 100 mics per mil. Mm. So and two marks per kilo for say a twenty kilo child is is about half a mil, or just under half a mil. So does it have a unpleasant taste or anything, or uh, even nasal? I guess you get a bit of a taste, don't you? Is it or is it? They, it goes down quite well. Kids don't mind it, it too much. Yeah, it tends to they, they the kids to describe it as a, a bit of a shock, but mm. um, usually they don't find it too too unpleasant. Mm. We have given it to kids as part of a double pre-med in the ones where so so we've given them just a small dose of midazolam maybe half your usual oral dose uh, which is enough to kind of get them a bit calmer and then actually I've, I've, I've given it to a child whilst they've been asleep <laughs> with, with the agreement of the mum and, the, and then actually they haven't they haven't woken up so mm. so um and and this is delivering it intranasally with a MAD device, a mucosal atomization device, which causes the fine, fine droplets, which are absorbed well in the nasal cavity. Mm, brilliant. Um, and is, there's no problem in going from a nasal mm. dose onto IV? Do you just basically start your IV as, um, as if you haven't given any already? Or do you start at a lower dose or anything? Or is that kind of up for debate yes uh there isn't a study which has looked at that specifically um we we know that giving a two mic per kilo bolus intranasally and then then say for example doing a gas induction and then putting in an lma and then doing an mri which is what most people would do if you're just using 
um, intranasal dexmed as a, as a pre-medication, then what I have found sometimes is that you have quite a long recovery time. So right. probably around two hours. But there's no published data that, that actually shows that um, because the anesthetic often is, is quite different. No one has controlled for those different those varying aspects. The study that Kira Mason from Boston talks about um, her MRI protocol of Dexmed as a sole agent shows recovery times of only 25 to 35 minutes. But in practice, it's um, it's a lot longer than that. I think they, they talk about going into the first recovery as an intensive area where you're monitored very carefully. And then often the child gets moved to a, a less intensively monitored area however it's still recovery and the child is still asleep so (laughs) (laughs) so this this is this is not from the paper but from talking to other colleagues and so unsurprisingly there is a a fair amount of residual drowsiness sure it's one of the last points i wanted to sort of get a bit more detail about from you is um using dexmatomidine in kids with metabolic disorders or I guess patients in me- with metabolic disorders mm-hmm. so is this to avoid propofol and or, or volatiles as well or just to minimize how much of those drugs you're giving what's the rationale for that I mentioned it at the end of my uh, paper but I have to say my, my personal experience with, with this patient group is is limited um they're quite the cases are quite rare and I actually didn't see see many when I was in in uh, at BC Children's. Um, Gromer Street, where, where I am now, actually has a, a lot more patients suffering from metabolic disorders. And from talking to colleagues there briefly, um, they they tell me that sativa is, is not, not that, that commonly used because of propofol being being um, not, not the favoured agent in those patients. Um, Remy fentanyl appears to be okay, mm. uh, and volatile agents. Uh, are safe to use either preferred agent. So I think Dexmed has not been studied in this group of patients, but then most most drugs haven't been studied that extensively in, in this group of patients. So so I think we, we wait to see whether there is any place for it. But again, these are a group of patients that you probably don't want to be very, very drowsy. So if you are going to use Dexmed, then one would probably exercise caution with the dose and, and and maybe even wait for some some literature to come out unless you unless you feel confident that this is a, a safe technique that sounds like the perfect study for you to work on while you're at <laughs> yes, <laughs> while yes. you're at gosh <laughs> yes yes so last last kind of point do you see any yes. future uses in different areas apart from what you talk about in uh, in your article yes well I think with um, the current COVID situation and the perhaps need to reduce the number of aerosol generating procedures we do, one could say that that this is this increases the perhaps the role of Dexmed in in sedative procedures that that otherwise would would need a general anaesthetic. Um, and especially with the nurse-led service being shown to be a feasible uh, program here in the UK, that's I think is something that other centres are, are, are going to be interested in because MRI is, 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 is as you know, is typically a, an area where there's a long waiting list and that has, has only 
been amplified by by the recent pandemic and so mm. there will definitely be an appetite for for looking for different ways of reducing this this um waiting list in a, in, a, in of course a safe manner and i think the safety profile of this this service of this program has has been shown um however it should be done with with the utmost caution well thank you very much dr lynn it's been great talking to you thank you thanks Thank you for taking the time to listen to this BJA Education podcast. Please visit our website to read our latest articles and to hear other podcasts from the archive.